It's great to be with you again today, and I'd invite you to turn with me to Isaiah, uh, the prophecy of Isaiah. Um, We're actually going to get to chapter 19, but we'll just begin briefly in chapter 12. And um, we're going to talk about three levels or three spheres of revival, uh, and the title of the meditation is Revival in That Day, Revival in That Day. So we're going to start off in Isaiah 12 and move to Isaiah 19, uh, the last part of Isaiah 19, uh, verse uh, 16 or 18, rather, through 25. Uh, Let's pray before we begin. Father, we pause our hearts right now before you. uh, For uh, some of us have had very busy mornings, and we, our, our minds may still be racing about things yet undone today. Others are near the end of their day and uh, may be a little bit tired and weary. But Lord, today I pray that you would give us from your word uh, thoughts on revival and the greatness of who you are that would uh, change our hearts, stir our affections, correct our thinking, and uh, Father, just uh, change our will uh, more and more uh, into what you want us to be. We ask your blessing now for this time of uh, brief meditation in your word, and then the prayer to follow in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 12 of Isaiah really um, brings uh, Emmanuel's book, so to speak, to a close. Uh, The first 12 chapters are about uh, Emmanuel and God with us. Um, And there's a new scene that begins, so to speak, in chapter 13 uh, that uh, speaks of uh, judgment and the oracles of God against various various nations and lands. But it is also full of grace for Isaiah, for Israel, for Judah, and for us today. You'll notice in chapter 12 and verse 1, we read, And in that day... In that day, thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wouldst angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. You'll see the pronoun you uh, referred to in verses 1 through 3, and then again in verses 4 through 6. It's important to note that in the Hebrew language, the word you in verses 1 through 3, is speaking to an individual. It's speaking about individual salvation, individual revival, and that's the first sphere. And then in verses 4 through 6, we read about corporate worship or corporate revival, as the you that is referenced is in the plural. It's talking to the entire nation of Israel. It's talking to the people of God. Today, we would say it's talking to God's people in the church. Verse 1, in that day, thou shalt say, O Lord, I'll praise thee, though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. This just reminds us that although we were former enemies of God, his anger and his wrath uh, focused fully on us. Now we are, uh, now he is our comforter. Now we receive the blessing of revival, that of the comfort of God himself. And we need to recognize that at times when we feel frustrated um, uh, and unjustly frustrated because we feel as if God is not cooperating with our agenda, that he was the one 
that chose to lavish grace upon grace upon grace to us and upon us. Verse 2, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. And that is an echo of Exodus 15, really, and a precursor to Romans 8, which says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And Isaiah teaches us here that God is our salvation. Therefore, we do not need to trust, or we do not need to be afraid, but we can trust fully in him. And we can trust in him alone. It is not that we trust in our trust in God, or we trust in our theology about God, or that we trust in our worship of God, or that we trust in our involvement for God. But rather, once we are saved, we trust in God alone, and he delivers us from all of our fears. He is our refuge. He is our peace. He is our strength. And today, even as we pray, we can pray, God, we trust in you alone, full stop, period, nothing else. You know, when Michael Jordan, the famous Chicago Bulls uh, basketball player, was inducted into the Hall of Fame, he concluded his speech by saying this, the game of basketball has been everything to me. It's been my refuge, the place I've always gone when I needed to find comfort and peace. Now, to us, that seems a little bit ludicrous to find peace and comfort and refuge in a sport. And yet, the human heart, if it not be basketball, we all have our own functional refuges. We have our all, all have our functional sources of peace and comfort when it seems to our fallen minds that God is not worthy of our trust. Oh, we may trust God, but we go to the refuge of human approval or a certain salary figure, or educational excellence, or career advance, or spiritual achievement even, or physical uh, health and stability. But those are not the refuges we should turn to. When we are truly revived by God, we will turn to him in full and, and, and in complete trust. Notice verse 2. It says, and this is a very unusual verse, a very unusual description of God. The Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Do you see that? The Lord Jehovah, a double use of the name of God. That is very rare in Scripture. Jehovah the Lord. It's almost like he's deliberately so to speak, overusing the name of God to show where our two true refuge and strength and source of revival comes from. He's emphasizing that God alone is our strength. God, Lord God, is our, our song, our salvation, um, and the covenant-keeping God. Therefore, verse 3, because of this, here's the revival, with joy shall we draw out of the wells of salvation. I read this morning of the continuing heat wave in India, uh, temperatures rising to 113 plus figures, and many people do not have access to clean, uh, safe water. Uh, they're, they're often in a drought, and when they're not in a drought, they can't go to the sources of water that we often go to. But here, God pours out wells of salvation. Did you notice the plural? Wells of grace, wells of love, wells of mercy, wells of righteousness, wells of compassion. 
And it reminds me, of course, of Jesus meeting the woman at the well who said, I'm the living water and who drinks from me will never, ever thirst. Um, We see these images every once in a while of a great athlete, for example, ending his marathon or her marathon and uh, or some other uh, uh, great uh, athletic feat. And they are are totally wiped out. But water is poured over their heads or they're lapping it up as much as they can or they're splashing in it with other people. And that is the case here that when we are truly revived, God provides us the joy of our salvation, wells of salvation which also alluding to uh, in the book of John talks about uh, he who believes in Jesus will have rivers of water welling within him, a reference, I believe, to the Holy Spirit of God. Well, that's individual revival. Then we have, of course, corporate worship, corporate revival, and we're praying for the revival of our churches. And for time's sake, I will not read verses four through six of Isaiah 12, but I will read it just in part. For in that day shall ye, that's plural, shall you all say together, praise the Lord, call on his name, declare his doings among the people. And so we continue to pray for revival in our own lives, revival in our church. And finally, revival in our nations and internationally. So individually, corporately in the sense of a church, And finally, internationally uh, and nationally, and I'd encourage you to turn to Isaiah chapter 19. Isaiah 19, verses 18 through 25. This will be the third focus of our our, uh, meditation and our following prayers. And Isaiah, the, the following chapters in Isaiah, leading up to chapter 19 and including chapter 19, are really oracles of God in judgment against many of the nations that surround the nation of Israel. You will remember that God called Abraham out of the land of Ur, and he promised him he was going to be a blessing, a blessing to the, to all nations. We know that Israel really did not fulfill that mandate very well. Uh, it proved difficult for them because of their unfaithfulness, but also because of many, many hostile enemies, many hostile enemies. Take, for example, Egypt that enslaved them for 400 years and then uh, were a perennial thorn in the flesh. Or the nation of Assyria, which carried the northern empire away, the great city of Nineveh uh, contained therein that uh, we know today as the nation of Iraq. Well, notice in chapter 19, verse 18 through 25, in that day, and listen to how often that phrase uh, is referred to. In that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the language of Canaan and swear to the Lord of hosts, one shall be called the city of destruction. In that day there shall be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. And it shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, for they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressors, and he shall send them a savior and a great one, and he shall deliver them. And the Lord shall be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day, uh, hearkening back to even the days of the Exodus, and shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yea, they shall vow a vow unto the Lord and perform it. The Lord shall smite Egypt, 
He shall smite and heal it, for they shall return even to the Lord, and he shall be entreated of them and shall heal them. Amazing. The perennial uh, enemy of Israel, the people of God, will experience a nationwide revival. God is showing mercy uh, in every corner of the earth. And then it goes on to talk about in that day, there shall be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrian shall come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria. The Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. And in that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land. Whom the Lord of hosts shall bless saying, blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. Wow. That's international revival, my friends. And you say, how could, how could that happen? They were so unfaithful to God. They were so hostile toward God. And yet, is that not the history of Israel? Is that not the history at times in our own lives of being unfaithful to God in so many ways? Israel failed in their purpose to, to be really a blessing to the nations and taking the gospel to them. And they failed in their own allegiance to God. And oftentimes we fail in evangelistic efforts and we fail to be faithful to our true God. But God shows mercy to whom he will show mercy. So as you and I pray for revival and evangelism today, we're participating in the point of all human history to welcome the nations to experience the mercy of God and my friends, I just heard a most encouraging podcast this morning from someone who was talking about the awakening and the, re and the revival and the spreading of salvation that is happening in places like North Africa and in the Middle East and in Asia. And we here in the West get so often discouraged that the church is floundering and the church is not growing. But in these places, there is revival, just like described in Isaiah 19. And we look forward to that day with this promise of those who gather to sing a new song in Revelation 5. Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Imagine that. Around the throne of God one day will be priests from Assyria, and from Egypt, and from Iraq, and from Iran, and from Tunisia, and from China, and from Venezuela, and from your own little corner of this earth. So let us pray, my friends, for the day that Isaiah describes, a day when we are praying for friends and family to experience personal salvation, true salvation from the Lord. Let us pray for a revival of corporate worship, a sense of awe among God's people in the church. And let us pray indeed for international and national revival, for the glory of God by his grace. Amen.